EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Oya Jordanian, an EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is May 4th, and I talk to Eric Goldstein, a professor of international relations and history at Boston University. I'm Eric Goldstein. I'm professor of international relations and history here at the Boston University Party School of Global Studies. Tell us a little bit about your connection to Europe. I went to Europe initially as a student. I did my PhD at the University of Cambridge. I thought it was going to be a brief stay in Europe. I ended up working there for 20 years and I was involved while I was at Birmingham also with the training of diplomats from the post-Soviet era. What is the future emerging in Europe now? I think the future in Europe at the moment we're speaking is a bit uncertain because of the British decision to exit the European Union. As we're speaking we're awaiting the outcome of the French election, though that seems to be trending in the direction of France not leaving the European Union, but it has been an issue in the French campaign. So it means it's in the atmosphere about what the future of the European Union is and what shape it's going to take. I expect the British decision to leave will start a debate within Europe about what structural reforms are needed to make certain that no other countries seek to leave the European Union. And I think that's going to have long-term consequences for the evolution of that particular body. Uh, our common tenant in definition of democracy is the choice and the freedom of to make decisions and determine our own futures. And building on Nicholas Newman's assertion that what is special about democracy is it's, that it's keeping the open, open possibilities of future choice. So how do you see how democracy is actually influencing the emerging future in Europe? I think one of the issues for Europe is there are so many democracies involved and they all have very different experiences of democracy. They have different structures, they have different pasts. Some of them have been for long periods without democracy, some have long democratic traditions. And I think one of the challenges the EU has had is attempting some convergence of all of these very different democracies. There are many ideas of democracy in Europe into a more coherent whole. And although the EU has made substantial progress in that direction, I think it's still one of the issues it really needs to address is how to think about this and not looking to impose one particular Euro definition of diplomacy, but to work more uh, coherently towards uh, a convergence of views that will come about organically. How do you see the politics evolving in Europe? I mean, we see some rising populism and um, basically rise on the right. Do you see it as a, as a threat to democracy? Do you see it as a problem? I think the nature of democracy is in that way it's a little bit like the stock market. Sometimes things are up, some things, times, some things are down, ideas move around. There are always swings of the pendulum as to what's popular. In part what's happened is Europe has finally got past the Second World War reconstruction era. 
and it's now moved into a different generation. Some of those memories of what happened that brought about the creation of the European Union are now in the historical past. They're now in the black and white, not the color memory of people. And that has allowed other ideas to emerge or reemerge in Europe. And that's part of the nature of democracy that there is an openness of debate. The challenge is you also therefore allow ideas that uh, denigrate democracy and oppose democracy to have the oxygen of publicity. And that's part of the general purpose of education is to allow people to understand the ideas they're hearing and to give some context uh, for it. One of the great things the EU has done is to allow really not just the free movement of labor, but the free movement of students and therefore the free movement of ideas around the EU. And I think that's one of the factors that has had a, a significant intellectual development in influencing the wider debate that's going on. You see very different attitudes among the younger generation, those under maybe, let's say, 35, uh, than those uh, a bit older who didn't have that exposure to uh, more multiple ideas of democracy. How do you see further integration in terms of common foreign and security policy in Europe, especially given that the relationship with Russia is getting more and more tensed? Your views on security in Europe depend on where you're located, and that's always been one of the difficulties. And countries that are located near Russia, for both immediate but also historic reasons, uh, have reasons to be concerned. Those particularly that were part of the former Soviet Union or part of the former Soviet bloc have a different legacy than those that were either neutral or part of the Western bloc uh, during the Cold War era. One of the great challenges of an organization such as the European Union is having common policies on almost anything. They've really started at the bottom on a lot of issues so that you know, you start by trying to make the driver's licenses readable in one country. You start at very granular level. It's going to take a long time to succeed in having a common and foreign security policy that's genuinely common and jointly uh, adhered to. But it's a lot different than it was uh, half a century ago uh, or even 20 years ago in the EU because there are more ways to communicate and work together to find the common objectives and how to go about at perhaps the less exciting but very important fundamental level of operationally how you do it. The fact that EU embassies and EU governments discuss the common issues mean that there's a better understanding of the common concerns. And so that to me is where the common foreign and security policy is an important concept, is that it's going to be slow, it's going to be steps and sequences but there is a greater understanding that there is a common need at the foreign and security policy level to work together. It is going to actually though, have to work together in some degree with NATO because NATO has been the other structure in Europe that's been very important in the post-Second World War era and that has at a less political but more uh, mechanical level brought about this convergence of uh, understanding and has created the networks of understanding as well. Do you see it as a possibility of creating the European army or more like a NATO style defense system, its own, its own system? Given recent American views about NATO, that the future of NATO is an interesting question. 
And I think possibly some of the more recent pronouncements from Washington, uh, from the new American president, may lead the Europeans to think that they have to more firmly think about a European defense force and deal with the economic impact of that as well, because it is going to mean more expenditure on defense issues. That money will have to come from some other part of the budget. The economic implications of a common uh, defense policy for Europe in finding some, uh, not alternative, but uh, more European dimension to what is currently provided by NATO, that requires political will uh, to make the expenditures involved. It's not a one-time cost. It's an ongoing commitment. You really have to see it as a 10-20 year commitment to any program you're involved in. That money needs to come from some other part of the budget and that's going to involve real political decisions. Different members of uh, the European community are going to see security issues differently because each have different security uh, threats. In Eastern Europe there may be a concern about Russia on the southern end of Europe, it's about the immigrant tidal wave coming in from Africa. People want to deal with the immigration issue there, but is it actually possible to use the uh, military capabilities of countries to stop that? It possibly isn't, but it is still something that uh, Europe may want to think about as a security issue. And that's a very European issue that isn't so much a NATO issue. So there are security issues that Europe needs to think about that doesn't involve the Atlantic relationship. Do you think European citizens have the tools to influence political processes, not only at the national level, but at also at the European level, beyond going to, to vote during the European parliamentary elections? And if so, what are those tools that they can use to have a real impact in terms of taking the charge of having more influence in determining their own futures? I think one of the difficulties the European Union has had is that the European institutions can seem very remote and the European Parliament can seem very remote. And I think that's actually one of the tasks the European Union has to do is to make it also clear how citizens can access more clearly their European representatives. That also is going to involve some interaction between local grassroots political activity uh, beginning to engage with how the European institutions work. Some countries are very good at understanding how it is, possibly because of their internal political structures. I think one of the problems in the United Kingdom, which is the country I'm most familiar with, is that citizens there really didn't see how they could access the European uh, members of parliament or the European institutions. They were too many levels away. And that was one of the real issues in a country that has a very large parliament where people are used to a member of parliament who is very accessible to them, where they can simply walk into his or her office every week and talk with somebody. Somehow Brussels was just somewhere over there. And bringing that uh, proximity to the European Union's activity, uh, maybe it has to be at both ends, both the EU making its offices more accessible locally to individuals, but then those individuals working more closely as smaller community groups to, uh, to make clearer their concerns to the European Union. I think although the EU is been a very much more effective organization than many people like to say, it was originally designed for six member states 
and some of the structures are still left for a much smaller organization. And with the end of the Cold War, it grew so dramatically, I think some of the internal skeleton is still sort of having that growth spurt that it needs, but it hasn't quite caught up with what the demands are that are being put upon it. What kind of Europe would you like to see in the future? I think the Europe I'd like to see in the future is still the Europe that was part of the vision of the founders, which is a peaceful Europe. And one has to remember that of all of the parts of the world, Europe has been the violent continent. And anything that enhances peace and stability in Europe is not only good for the inhabitants, it's good for the world as well. And that probably will promote economic benefits as well. But really a peaceful and more collaborative Europe, I think, is the, uh, the best way forward for everybody, both at country level, regional level and internationally. We talked about the future, democracy, populism, security issues. Is there anything else you would like to say, share your opinions on Europe, the European Union, its future? I think one of the things the European Union still needs to work at is the fact that it does have this remoteness from people's lives, but also how European law works which is really how people's lives are uh, administered. Successful countries have a very clear establishment of the rule of law. That's really what differentiates countries in the world. All the European countries do have the rule of law. That's one of the things these countries that have joined together in the European Union have. But there is still a lot of debate about what sort of law that's going to be that evolves in. And I think just a focus again on the details. I always have an interest in how the details work this is really where Europe can begin to make a major advance forward, is pulling together its, if you will, legal philosophy, but also its legal details. Thank you so much for this interesting conversation. Thank you. Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C. 